0: Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host Michael Trainer, and it is a pleasure to introduce to you today a dear friend, Ben Nemton. Ben is a number 1 New York Times selling author. He is one of the stars of the MTV show The Buried Life and is now a highly uh, sought-after keynote speaker. He is an incredible uh, man and we really go deep in this conversation around our our dreams and living our dreams in this life. You know, many of us go through life um, burying uh, their dreams. In fact, I think the number one regret of the dying is that they wish that they had lived the life of their own accord as opposed to living in accordance with the expectations of others. And so, Ben... Uh, with The Buried Life, set out to not only live uh, his bucket list, but to help and be in service to others who were seeking to live theirs. And his story is remarkable. I think you're going to get a tremendous amount of value from the conversation. And I broke this into two parts, because this episode is really around living your dreams and the process of living your dreams and the, the great clarity that can be brought by a bucket list. Part two is really a technical episode about how to become a successful public speaker. So I think you get a tremendous amount of value. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, this episode is brought to you by two of my favorite companies, uh, ones that I use daily. Uh, the first is OneFarm by Wayab. One Farm is my go-to CBD uh, product. It is incredibly high quality, impeccable actually in its quality. I take their Lemon Drop CBD, uh, which helps me with my sleep. And I also take their Turmeric Relief Cream, which has 425 milligrams of organic CBD. And I've been using it on my finger, which I injured recently, and it's really helping. So if you're looking uh, into uh, getting a great CBD product for anxiety, for pain relief, check out onefarm.com backslash peak, or just go to onefarm.com. And put in peak uh, at checkout, and you'll get twenty uh, percent off your order. They're also going to be through July <clears throat> donating twenty percent to charity. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share more on that soon. But really a wonderful company, uh, a lot of integrity, and the, <clears throat> the the product is entirely handpicked. So really love it. Check them out onefarm.com. This episode is also brought to you by my go-to blue light blocking glasses, which is Blue Blocks. Uh, and I am currently wearing their clear glasses because it's daytime. But as I'm doing a lot of writing right now for my computer work, I'm finding them extraordinarily helpful. I also have their yellow and red light glasses to block out harmful blue light rays. Uh, you can listen to the episode I did around light hygiene with the founder, Andy Mant. Uh, really, really great quality glasses. I love them, I uh, use them pretty much daily. Uh, check them out at BlueBlocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com. And if you put in uh, Peak Mind at checkout, you get 15% off your order. Again, that's BlueBlocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com. And all of those links will be in the show notes. Without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce the one and only Ben Nempton. All right. I am here with my very good friend, Ben Nempton, who I've known almost a decade now. And I've been wanting to uh, get him on the show. And he is uh, he's highly in demand as a speaker at the moment. And uh, depending on when you're listening to this, I'm going I'm to publish it uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we just unfortunately, collectively, have hit this uh, coronavirus period. And uh, given his background and what he's been up to in terms of his buried life, uh, I thought it was actually a really appropriate time to, to have this conversation. Uh, but Ben, it's, it's, uh, it's really an honor to have you on the show, my man, and uh, I can't wait to uh, to share some of your insights with the audience. Thank
1: you, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So for context, can you share a little bit about, I mean, when I met you it was just actually after you had left um, The Buried Life, which I just thought was, at the time... Um, having, having written out my own bucket list, inclusive of which led me on a life changing trip to, uh, Sri Lanka, which actually, actually totally changed the trajectory of my life. I loved kind of what you and the boys were up to, but what I loved especially about it was the fact that you decided that you would focus not just on your own goals, but on supporting others for the benefit of the audience. Many people of course will already know, but can you just share a little bit about what the Barry life was and, and, and a little bit about the, the sort of the essence of that vision?
1: So at the time it was, this was two thousand and six, and I was going through probably the hardest time of my life where I was, you know up to this point, I was having a lot of success at school and uh, in athletics. I made the national rugby team. I grew up in Canada, so it was I was in Victoria BC. Um, and I was going into my first year university, and I always put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. and so, as we started to train more and more for the World Cup and as pressure mounted with you know, the questions like what are you going to do with your life and um, just succeeding in general, I started to get anxiety around missing a big kick at the World Cup. Like I had this thought, like what if I miss an easy kick at the World Cup? Because I played fly half, so I was the field goal kicker uh, and the quarterback's kind of one position. And so... I kept getting these thoughts at night and they ultimately caused me to lose sleep and this lack of sleep caused me to slide into a depression and this depression was just debilitating for me. I dropped out of school, I retreated back into my parents' house, I was unable to really leave the house, I was stuck in this indecision of, of, of any time I would try and make a decision, um, I just wouldn't and ultimately that would lead me to, to not doing anything. So. Um, I got to the point where I I was just doing 15 minute walks outside of the house at my really my parents will right they would just you know really tell me you got to go for a walk so this was something that was completely out of the blue I'd never experienced anything like this and I was terrified I just was like I was totally flattened by this thing and I didn't understand why and everything I'd worked so hard for was suddenly gone and so uh cut to many months later when friends kind of pulled me out of the house during summer break and they convinced me to come work with them in a new town that I slowly started to come out of these feelings. And, you know, there are many things that contributed and we can touch on that later on if we want. But at the end of the day, I started to build confidence. I started to talk about what I was going through. Um, I started to understand why I was feeling this way by talking with friends and talking with a therapist and, and one of the decisions I made at the time was I decided to only surround myself with people that were going to inspire me. So yeah. people that were going to give me energy rather than take energy. And one of these people that I decided to surround myself with was a filmmaker. And he, I didn't know him too well, but his name was Johnny. And I, I called him up cause I'd always wanted to make a movie. And I said, Johnny, let's make a movie. I know you make movies. And we brought uh, three other, two other friends into the fold. And, um, we decided to make a documentary film. And we didn't know what it was going to be about, but we just had all these things that we always wanted to do, and and we realized we'd never done any of them. And at the time, Johnny was assigned a poem in English class at McGill University called The Buried Life. And The Buried Life was a 150-year-old poem um, written by a guy in his 50s in in England that talked about how the day-to-day buries what you really want to do. And you have these moments when you're inspired, but ultimately that gets buried by life. And so we thought, holy shit, like this guy is feeling the same way we are feeling now, except it's 1852. (laughs) And we thought, well, let's take this name, The Buried Life, because we're not the first people to feel like this. And then we thought, okay, well, then how do we unbury our dreams? And we decided to ask this question, what do you want to do before you die? Because the thought of death was the only thing that really shook us enough to really realize what was truly important, like digesting our mortality put things in perspective. And so that answer to that question, That turned into the bucket list, right? Mm -hmm. That was our answer to the question, what do you want to do before you die? And when we wrote this list, we just pretended anything was possible. We pretended we had 10 million bucks in our bank. And we wrote this really audacious list. And we thought, you know what? We're never going to be able to do any of these things on our own. (laughs) Like, we're going to need the help of other people. (laughs) So how about every time we cross something off our list, let's help someone we meet do something on their bucket list. So we'll go on a road trip, we'll cross things off our list, and then we'll ask strangers, what do you want to do before you die? And if we can help them, then we will. And this is 2006, right? So we have no money. We have no idea how we're going to do this, but we're just thinking whether we have to walk, bike, or steal a car, we're going to take two weeks off at the end of summer before we go back to school to go after our list, help other people make a movie. And we threw parties as fundraisers. We cold-called companies pretending we had a production company, right, to get sponsored <laughs> We got a local juice company to pay for our gas. We um, we took out a $2,000 loan. We bought an RV. We bought a camera on eBay, and we built a website with our 100 dreams. And we hit the road on this two-week road trip in this, you know, ragtag RV. The mechanic, by the way, said, don't expect to bring this back because it won't make it. We <laughs> lost five of six tires on the first road trip. Um, but miraculously, we were able to hit the road for two weeks. And what happened was really interesting because we never really told anyone what we were doing because we didn't really even know what the hell we were doing. Uh, but we just sort of had this feeling that it was going to be a lot of fun and, and we were going to create this documentary. And all of a sudden, it started getting the news. And local news would start to do stories on these four guys going after their dream list, and then it was national news in Canada, and then it was around the world. And all of a sudden, all these people from around the world started sending us emails saying, "Hey, I saw your list online. You know, I saw get up on a hot air balloon. My friend works for Remax; they can get you on a hot air balloon. Or I saw like make a toast at a stranger's wedding. Like my friend's getting married; I'm the best man; I can get you in." Right? (laughs) So this in just just huge amount of energy coming in offering to help us cross things off our list but the other thing that was coming in were people's dreams mm. so we were getting flooded with people's bucket lists you know hey guys i've always dreamed of flying a fighter jet can you help me or, i've always dreamed of playing augusta or you know riding a horse through a drive-thru <laughs> um, and we kind of were blown away that there was this Response. So we come back after that two-week road trip. We've crossed off all these list items. We've helped all these people that we didn't think we could actually ever help, right? So through the generosity of other people, we've been able to help people cross things off their list and meaning – like really meaningful things. Um, and we come back from this road trip and we're just kind of like, holy crap, what, ju- what just happened? This was supposed to be a two-week road trip. Let's do this again next summer. So – We went back to school for the next eight months. We fundraised, we did whatever we could to save up money. We worked an extra job so that we could then take two months off the next summer to continue to go after our list and help other people. And the next summer rolls around, we get a 1969 purple transit bus named Penelope. We hire a crew from LA to follow us in an RV, and we go after, like, you know, we sing the national anthem at like an NBA game, right? We ride a bull. We help kids go on a shopping spree at Toys R Us that have cancer. We help uh, someone that, that is terminally ill. We, we, we uh, furnish his house through the generosity of a local church, right? People just donated um, furniture so that we could set up uh, his bare apartment. And, uh, and so we come back from that two months, and, and now we had come down to the U.S., and it was just this explosion of energy, and we're just totally, again— Blindsided by all the support and um, and really what we could accomplish, right? We're starting to accomplish these big list items that we're, were sort of like crazy. So then we come back from this two months road trip. This is sort of the second year of the buried life. And um, and I remember basically my dad's like, you know, I go over to dinner with my parents' house. And my, my dad's like, hey, you know, your mother and I have been talking. I think we have something to add to the list. And I'm like, yeah, dad, what is it? Like anything. And he says, how about get a job? <laughs> <laughs> right. And what was, I mean, he's right. Like the, you, you sort of, these things you have to do and things you want to do and you can't always keep doing both of them. Right? Or They're not the same thing. And what that meant for us in that moment was, okay, we kind of have a decision to make. Are we going to continue to do this thing as a hobby on the side? Or are we going to go all in and actually try and make something of this? And we decided to go all in. We put all our chips in. I dropped out of school. Uh, We all pretty much dropped out of school. Hmm. And we started going after the bigger list items. And in in our minds at at that point, there's nothing bigger than number 53, make a TV show. We'd always dreamed of making a TV show. But really being in control of the show and being executive producers and really – Um, being in control of the creative uh, because that was really important to us because we really wanted our friends (laughs) to to be moved by it and actually just like it, right? Our filter throughout this whole thing is like, what would our friends like? What would our friends think? And that's why we decided to ask this question, what do you want to do before you die? Because we never want to tell people how to live their life. I have no business telling my friends how to live their life, but I can go out and just have as much fun as I can and have the greatest experience as I can and hopefully inspire them to think about some of the things that they might want to do that are similar. Uh, Because at the time I had friends that were going to law school, but I knew they wanted to open a restaurant. And for for me, it was about triggering people, right? Just getting them to think about something a little bit differently, triggering that or like lighting that fire just a bit um, around the passion that they have and hopefully giving them permission to do it by doing it ourselves i love so so this idea of what would our friends think was really our mantra throughout all of buried life and so what we did was we we cut a pilot through the footage that we had you know pull that we had captured the last two years right we've been filming this documentary and um by the way I'm, i'm skipping over a whole bunch of lows right like the the, the the we had a just a devastating uh, low after the second tour where we had spent all this money on this crew to film this documentary we came back we didn't have enough money for post-production we didn't know what post-production was mm-hmm. we also realized there's no buyer for a documentary like this you know like where are we going to put it where's it going to go and so i had to go back and work at a bar i didn't even know how to bartend and i you know back in vancouver i got depressed again like it was just a a really difficult time, but luckily I had the three other guys to pull me up when I fell down, and I was able to do the same when they, you know, hit lows. And I think that's the importance of working with people that you love—is that like you get that support. Um, but you know, back to the list item of making a TV show, we had no idea how this worked, and uh, basically, Johnny, the self-taught filmmaker, cut a pilot of the format that we would want to see on tv which is crossing something off our list every episode helping someone else cross something off their list every episode Uh, and we had we had actually crashed the mtv uh, vmas in vegas uh wearing suits that we found at a thrift store (laughs) these matching (laughs) women's power suits and we had bum-rushed the back entrance of the of the awards in our purple bus and we had printed out fake tickets and Dropped all these names and had our film crew pretending that we were filming a secret pilot for MTV, and we got in the awards. And so we used that footage as the, you know, that's the that was the footage for our pilot. And then we, we did this really cool story of of helping someone, and you know, I just met someone that knew someone in LA, and I started doing trips down there. Got flown down on a buddy pass from a flight attendant, and over about a year and a half, got uh, a meeting with MTV and started to be able to understand the business enough so that we could pitch networks. And with this pilot, uh, MTV uh, was the one that we decided to go with because they were, said, you can be executive producers, you can be in control, we understand the ethos of the show. And it was a very uh, interesting time at MTV where they were making this shift into some more aspirational content. And so there were other shows that um, – there was this show called Life of Jenks, which is made by this awesome guy named Andrew Jenks, a uh, documentary style show that was very real that we were uh, paired with. And so now we were in L.A. All of a sudden executive producers of a, a television show with not a days of experience in production. Um, and we're like, we got to go big on these list items like this is our <laughs> one shot to, to go for it. And so we went after list items like, you know, survive on a deserted island, streak a field and get away with it you know ask out the girl of your dreams you know Duncan asked out Taylor Swift I tried to ask out Megan Fox and totally fail um, <laughs> and then helped some people in really really awesome ways like helped reunite a son uh, with his dad that he hadn't seen in 17 years helped uh, this girl get over the a fear of heights helped um, uh, someone uh, uh, find out his dad was homeless so we, we helped find his dad a home and you know ultimately just this idea to got ideas. a girl, a bionic
0: arm, which was yeah. Pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. And so like, but these two themes kept becoming very clear. And one was, uh, that, yeah, we were accomplishing these really cool, audacious list items and, um, you know, our dreams. But it was the times when we, when we were stepping into someone else's life and helping them do that thing, that that was so important to them that, was really resonating and sticking with us and and you know in hindsight you look I look back and it's like it's those moments that I know will stick with me until I die and so it was a it was a a, a truly in- incredible experience I don't remember that 2 years of my life because we worked so hard like I mean we could do a whole podcast on like how we actually made that show <laughs> yeah. which was just just you know because we made it it we didn't, you know, as I'm sure you know, reality TV is not real, right? It's totally produced. So every scene is produced. You're given talking points. Um, everything is cleared ahead of time. So, like, if we want to do something where we're sneaking into a place, they would want to clear it and let them know so we could use that footage. And we'd say, no. <laughs> like, what's the point? Yeah. If you, if you clear it, then we're not sneaking in. We're just asking if we can come over. <laughs> so we had to prove to MTV that we could pull it off. Uh, and we, you know, and we were able to do that through, you know, a lot of just, you know, big, boring and stealing, but it was, it ended up being a show that we were proud of. Um, and so, you know, again, like momentum is, is, is starting to build, uh, more and more now the shows out and we're, we, we go after and start to accomplish things that we never thought were possible, right? Things like play basketball with president Obama at the white house or, you know, have a beer with Prince Harry or um, sit with Oprah. Like these things that we initially wrote on the list that I was convinced were impossible, that we wrote, that we were laughing when we wrote them. That's how much of a, almost a joke it was. And all of a sudden, these list items were coming to fruition. And what happened was – and this is really the reason why I think explaining the full arc of the story is important – So you you kind of have context to uh, around this whole this whole journey because the important thing, and I think the takeaway is like, after after some of these bigger list items started to fall, there is this moment where I suddenly had no choice but to believe that anything is possible. Mm. Like when these when these more like these these list items that I was that I was convinced were impossible started to come to fruition. It changed my DNA in a way that moving forward, I realized, like, okay, I guess anyone can do anything. Mm. And when the next challenge uh, approached, it wasn't, can I do this? It's, do I want to do it? Because I know it's going to take a lot of work. I know that I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot. So is this something that I really, really want to do? Mm. Because if not, it's not worth it. But I know I can do it if i truly want to do it and the reasoning behind that is in line with all the things that are important to me or my core belief system and that is an incredible shift that i think anybody can have and i and i think when you write your list when you first write your list your list is going to fall into two categories it's going to be a list of there's going to be things that you can do but you just haven't i want to go to bali uh, I want to uh, be a, a better saxophonist. <laughs> or I want to. Uh, I want to write that book.
0: Um, those are things that. Do you have a you recommendation, have- by the way, on how people? I mean, at least when I've seen it, it's kind of a hundred things. I mean, I, I know this is getting very basic, but as you've instructed and worked with people who have gone through this process, do you have any recommendations for those that are listening? On how they can approach writing their own list, because I, I, as I understand it, you're sort of saying the things that seem achievable, and then you're you know things that probably seem uh, a bit stretchy, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
1: And, and I do have a, a simple framework that I won't that I'll talk about in a second. And just to finish this thought, so you have your list. It's 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 probably in two basic buckets: things you can do but you haven't, and things that feel impossible. Mm. And over time, if you keep your list in a journal that you continue to uh rewrite your list every couple months or you know twice a year where you pull things um into your new list that you still want to do and you can drop things off because your list is your reflection of your desires right and those will change so your list changes but what we'll find is those things that you initially wrote on that first list that you were you really thought were impossible at one point you'll look back and you think you know what i can actually I think there's a uh, a couple things I could do to try and move myself towards that. And then cut to, you know, a year later, you'll look back and you'll be like, hey, you know what, like, actually, I can see a path of how that would happen. And then you look back and you're like, holy crap, I did that thing, right? And so that gap gets shorter and shorter and shorter before, and then you suddenly realize, geez, I used to think all those things were impossible. I mean, think about in your life. I'm sure there's many things that you have done that you had this initial idea And you thought, no way, no way, you know? And then all of a sudden you just started taking some small steps towards it. You didn't know the full path, but before you know it, you look back and you're thinking, Jesus, I can't believe that happened. And that's what happens with your list. And I think that in terms of the simple steps that anybody can take to begin this process, um, first grab a piece of paper, grab a, a journal. Ideally it's a journal because then you can, Uh, sort of keep it and give yourself 30 minutes ideally more and think about if you had all the money in the world if you had the ability to do anything what would you do and just stream of consciousness write down all of the things that you have ever wanted to do big or small and there's no judgment right like i'd like you to forget everything you think you know about a bucket list and i think that most people when they think about a bucket list they gravitate towards the adventure bucket, right? I want to travel here. I'd like to skydive. I'd like to do this exciting thing. Um, they're sort of in that sphere. And that's one category of life. But there are ten categories of life, right? There's emotional. There's spiritual. There's um, material. There's professional. Uh those are all the buckets that you want to think about when you're writing your list. So what are your professional goals? What are your emotional goals? What fears do you want to get over? What material things do you want? It's okay to have material things in your bucket list. Do you want a house on the beach? Write it down. you want your dream watch? Write it down. What, you know, what are your uh, goals that, that, that reflect every part of you? And the only thing that's important is that it's important to you. Mm. That's all. So there's no judgment with the list. You know, there's nothing that's selfish about a list. In fact, it's service. Because when you're doing the things that you love, you're more alive. You have more energy. You can serve the people around you much better, right? So you're fueling yourself through this process, allowing you to be the best version of yourself. So that's something that I had to get over, is I used to think a bucket list was selfish, Mm. right? Considering all the people I have to take care of, all the responsibilities I have in my life and in my work— I don't have time for a bucket list. And then I realized I wasn't just wrong, I actually had it backwards. Like it's vital for every aspect of your life. Um, and we can get into those, but I want to sort of circle back to the steps that, that everyone can take to uh, actually drive themselves forward and, and write their list. So you you think about all aspects of your life, and you can Google um, it's, it's actually the 12 categories of life that uh, it's a a guy named Matthew Kelly has a book called The Dream Manager. And so he outlines these twelve categories of life. And they can there's prompts that you can sort of look at and think about. So you write your list and now it exists. Now you've taken the time to think about what's important to you and you've memorialized it on a piece of paper. This is so important because this is a small step of action. This is also a small step of accountability. And what we need to get over when, when it comes to our personal goals is we need to create inspiration through action versus waiting to feel inspired to do it. And we need to create accountability around our personal goals because there's no deadlines for personal goals. Mm-hmm. So we need to create accountability through small steps of action. Uh, and we have to get, um, this inspiration by, by move, by actually taking move by making moves towards our goals. So we're like we're the architects of our own inspiration yeah. through action. So, so writing it down is important. And now that you have your list, uh, what I would suggest is that you start to share it. And this is a hard thing to do because, um, what stops us from sharing our goals and our dreams is fear, the fear of what other people think, or the fear of failure. Both very human fears. I feel them. You feel them. It, it's very hard not to feel these things. They've, they've been passed on from generation to generation. Um, it said that the fear of what other people think dates back to when we were hunter-gatherers. Mm. And if we went out for a hunt, came back without a kill, we were at risk of getting kicked out of the tribe. If we did something wrong in the tribe, we got kicked out. And that almost meant certain death. So that fear of what other people think, that made sense because the consequences were, were, were high. Yeah. but nowadays the consequences are not that high but we've sort of we, we we think they are and so as long as you have and this is an important caveat because you need to have your basic sort of needs met right like sort of food safety shelter because then those are life or death fears like that's that's the that fear uh, is very real and it needs to be accounted for but if you have those uh, covered than the fear of what other people think I mean here's the truth people are just thinking about you much less than you think they are right? <laughs> exactly yep. like they're just they're too wrapped up into they're thinking about what other people are thinking about them all the time Yeah. to think about you <laughs> like so just not thinking about you so it's more of a made up fear and the fear of failure you know if I guess if you're if you think about it this way if you're afraid to go after your goal or you're waiting for the right time you failed because you didn't achieve your goal. So at least when you try and you fail, what you learn from that really outweighs any potential hit to your reputation. So both of those fears are uh, more of made-up fears. Uh, And so when you think about it that way, it's easier to move through them. So move through the fear and share your goals because if you don't talk about your list, no one can help you. You're on your own. And the only way that we cross things off our list is through the help of other people. If we never would have shared our list, we never would have crossed anything off and help will show up in the most unexpected ways when you share your dreams and goals authentically, um, with humility and with passion mm-hmm. and respectfully, you know, not berating people with, 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 with what you need. And so, uh, when you, when you don't share your list and you're stuck in that kind of, you know, well, what are other people going to think? What if I fail? What, you know, what would they think? Um, you're going at it alone and you just have a, a, a less chance of of succeeding. And if you think about, you know, let's look at our professional lives and our personal lives in our professional life if we come against a challenge. What do we do? We go to a leader, we go to a colleague, we ask people for help. We say, Hey, listen, I don't know what to do here. What have you done in the past? Um, you go to your community, Hey, you know, I need some help. I'm trying to get a hold of this person, you know, or I'm not quite sure what to do. Like we collaborate, and in our personalized, typically we don't. We go at it alone. But if we could create the same type of strategy around our personal goals, right? These tiers of accountability. Mm-hmm. In our professionalized, we have tiers of accountability. We're accountable to our leader, to our boss, right? If we don't do something, we hear about it, and we might get fired. And then we lose money. So that's why we do it. With our personalized, we don't have that structure. So how can we create that structure? Well, when we share our goals, we create accountability because then we feel accountable to the person we just spoke to. So you're writing down your goals to create accountability. You're sharing your goals to create accountability. And now how else can you increase your uh, percentage Of success, Mm -hmm. Well, you've already increased your percentage by 42% by writing down your goals. So when you write down your list, this is a study out of Dominican University in California, you're 42% more likely to achieve your goals. Just by writing it down. Just by writing them down. And you are 77% more likely to achieve your goals if you have someone checking in with you down the line. Mm. So an accountability buddy. Yep. So now that you shared your goals, you know, you have your list, find someone that can check in on you, that can create that accountability. So pick an accountability buddy. That's when you train, when you train for a marathon by yourself versus with someone else, you have a higher chance of of actually, you know, succeeding if you're training with someone else because they keep you accountable. So can you find an accountability buddy? Um, and, and if not, use your community you know declare that you're going to do this you'll feel accountable when i post my resolutions i feel accountable because i'm like shit everybody knows <laughs> yep. i better do it so you can use that same thing that stops us that fear of what other people think to your actually advantage. drive
0: you yep totally right?
1: so you can turn that into a positive and so those are some small step, simple steps of action that can drive us forward and i think that if you want to really define further the sharing piece i think that you can uh you can be targeted in your sharing so if you want to write a book well you can post on facebook i'm gonna write a book you know or i'm gonna write a book can anybody help me you know you might get some responses and and uh and you will definitely feel accountable but what if you went to people that you knew wrote a book or you knew they knew someone that wrote a book and say hey listen i know you wrote a book i'm sure you're super busy i'm my biggest dream is to, is to write a book i have this great idea i don't even know the first step of how to write a proposal do you have any suggestions could i pick your brain for 15 minutes or do you have any resources that you could point me to you know most of the time they're they're going to give you some sort of offering and and i think that when you um, when you go at it that way, when you're hyper targeted with your your outreach and, and your sharing, you're 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 your specific. I think you have a higher chance of getting what you you know what you want. Um, so, and I think there's this element of creativity that's very important when you talk about or when we're thinking about asking for help and outreach. And I think that instead of just you know sending the same email every two days again and again and again, not hearing a reply. Um, just think of it outside the box. Be creative.
0: Um, Th- that's actually that- one I want to hit you on and get a little yeah. bit uh, specific because this is actually an area that I've thought quite a lot about uh, in different ways, uh, not from the bucket list, but to your point earlier in terms of whether it be Global Citizen or the event with the Dalai Lama, the question I often get asked the most, and I imagine you know for you it's sort of that equivalent, is like the Obama basketball game, etc. is how did you make that happen? And you're obviously distilling it down, and and, and I think these are essential steps, right? You're talking about writing it down, making the commitment, the accountability partner, all those things are, I I feel like, are, are super essential. But are there any tips? I I, lo- I loved what you were sharing, for example, about the fact that you kind of got more wind in your sails in helping people with 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 their with their kind of vision, and it almost generated a momentum. I imagine even that that probably folded into your your you know your the goals that are oriented on your personal goals. But are there yeah. any tips for those who are listening? Um, and I'm sure you'll get into more. As it relates to it, if they've done the exercise and they've and they've got say, let's call it a hundred goals, and yep. and they and they let's say they you know uh, they segment and they start to stack a couple wins, right? They get a couple wins on the board with some of the easier things. As you start thinking about perhaps. Let's call it the stretchier, stretchier goals, like the goals that seemingly like when you were when you were in a depressed place, you know, early days, you would never have thought of getting to that Obama mountain, so to speak. Um, what are the ways in which when you feel stuck, you can kind of regain momentum or get back on track? I imagine the accountability partners part of that. But are there ways in which any particular insights, because I think a lot of people may, may get a few Wins on the board, but then they kind of quit before they, they 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 entirely follow through. And and if you have any insights in regards to like keeping on track or or reaching a little bit further when things get a little challenging, I think that'd be super helpful.
1: Yeah. So a couple of things that help for me, <clears throat> um, and and I'll sort of say some high level things and then some more specifics. <clears throat> One. Is and I mentioned this earlier the the importance of you know surrounding people surrounding yourself with people that are that are inspiring you. Mm-hmm. I think that that is that decision decision changed my life without a doubt. If I were to draw back to the most important thing that I've done in my life, it was just being conscious of the people and proactive about the people I surrounded myself with, because none of this would have happened if I wouldn't have done that. So with that being said, we all have the opportunity to redefine the people that we are surrounding ourselves with every day, whether that's just leaning into those people that really fire us up or give us energy or inspire us or creating distance uh, from those people that do the opposite. And the reason why I mentioned this is because those people, when you're in those times of, of struggle, they will lift you up. You know, Even if they're not working on that project with you, you're not, they're not your partner, but that community and that, those people, they will re-energize you, and they'll also help give you perspective because they've been there in those lows. Everyone has been there, and it's normal to feel that. In fact, it would be bizarre if you didn't feel those lows. You wouldn't be human. So this is just part of the human existence, and some people have deeper lows than others, uh, but everyone you know will go through some sort of crisis in their life and um, having those people around you that you can confide in and just simply talk to about these struggles, but also, you know they can act as like a gas tank and fill you up when you feel depleted. Mm is, is really important. And I think that there are some specific things that, that I've used in the past that I feel really helped me when I hit those times of, of, of struggle. And, and, you know, this is, these are just things that help me get to baseline, you know? So if you think about, you know, hitting a depression or going through something that you, you feel like, gosh, it you can't even think about going after a goal. You're just trying to think about how to get out of bed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, I think that, you know, surrounding yourself with those people that are going to inspire you, um, talking about what you're going through, ideally to a therapist. Um, but if you don't have access to a therapist, you know, people that love you, um, helping someone else, you know, we talked about the most important piece of this whole journey has been these acts of service.
0: Yeah.
1: When you help someone else, your brain doesn't have the capacity to think about how shitty you feel when you're helping someone else. Totally. So you literally take yourself out of your own head. You are not thinking about how bad you feel, but also you're building a human connection. So you're creating a meaningful connection, which increases your sense of well-being. Um, getting enough sleep. You know, the book uh, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker completely changed my perspective on the importance of sleep and. He allowed me to understand that it's not a pillar of wellness; it's actually the bedrock of which all pillars rest, and that uh, the the less you sleep, the the shorter your life is. It's just as simple as that. And so, that's an incredible book that I think you know. If you don't have time to read the book, listen to um, he's on many podcasts, but the podcast that I listened to was Joe Rogan Matthew Walker podcast it was fantastic. Just you get a lot of the key elements of the book in that two hours. Um, so you got to get your eight hours of sleep. Um, you, you know I, I love meditation just as a tool, especially when I can't sleep, it's the only thing that slows my mind down. And when I can't sleep, my mind's just racing. So I meditate and it slows my mind down. I'm able to go to sleep and you know, but there's many different types of, of mindfulness you know Just a couple of deep breaths through the lower belly is a, that, that stimulates your parasympathetic, which is your rest and repose and you slow down your heart rate and, you know, stress goes down versus shallow breaths in the chest. Uh, there's head, apps like Headspace, you know, apps like Calm, both free, both excellent, easy guided meditations. Uh, I try and, you know, make sure I, I'm doing exercise every day, even if it's seven minutes, a couple push-ups, sit-ups, you know, go for a quick run, but just something, because that just... That releases serotonin and dopamine, which makes you happy. So that's that, that's proven to increase your well-being. So those are the things you have to do when you're in a, in a slump. Um, and uh, get in nature, you know, just going for a, a, a 20 minutes or more in nature by the ocean increases your well-being. There's some great literature coming out about, you know, forest bathing and and just being out in nature. And gratitude, you know, it sounds woo-woo, but if you want to really change your life say thank you before you go to bed and thank you when you wake up Mm -hmm. just choose one thing you're grateful for I mean, this is not new stuff this is you know dale carnegie talked about this you know 70 years ago and he would say for people that were depressed his um you know his recommendation was do an act of service for 14 days in a row and then come back and talk to me Mm -hmm. and, and and let me know how you're feeling you know so it's just this idea of um, he he also talks about like, ninety percent of our lives are going well, and ten percent are not. But we focus on that ten percent, and we forget about the ninety percent that's going really well, right? Like I I walked, you know, this morning my legs worked. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible thing. A lot, some people around the world do not have access uh, to their to, to healthy bodies, and so thinking about things like their family if they're safe and healthy is you know can you imagine if they weren't well that is something to be very grateful for is things that we overlook so gratitude as a practice is just a muscle that i think is important to build and and you you build that by practicing um and, and last and not least is medication you know i think there's a great stigma around medication i think that we are over prescribed but i think if we sort of you know put that aside you know i i think that Anything you need to to get out of a slump, it doesn't mean it's going to be forever. Just, you know, take it to get yourself back on track. And you know what? Everyone needs some sort of support sometime, and that's okay. So, and if you happen to take medication and it's something that you are going to be on for a very long time, that's okay, too diabetics you know take insulin and that's just the way it is it doesn't mean that you're going to be on it forever but i just don't think that people should beat themselves uh, up about it or they should not take it because of the stigma because when you need uh, help you you need help and that's okay and so i think that you know you want to combine that with therapy so that you can work through those things and uh, eventually hopefully wean yourself off but i just think that uh you know that's just something to to consider um you know just to be uh, an option. So you don't feel trapped cause I just don't want anyone to feel trapped. Uh, and so, uh, the reality is that we all go through these ups and downs and, and that's okay. So, so that's, those are kind of like the things that can help with just bringing yourself back to baseline. And then as you, if you just feel stuck, there's things like going to friends that inspire you, taking these small steps that will build inspiration. Um, and, and just consent, you know, just rem- remembering this, this word relentless mm. you just have to be relentless anything that has been achieved that is great just took a crap ton of work you know <laughs> and you just gotta you can't give up and most people give up on that that is the difference between people that succeed and don't yeah it's a numbers game yeah you just trying again and again and again and you increase your chances every time you try and so that persistence and then being creative about that persistence and and being humble and, and, you know, be passionate about around your persistence and uh, thinking outside the box will, will drive you forward. So uh, those are just a few, few things that have helped me.
0: Yeah. I I think, thank you for that. I think it's um, it's super apropos, especially I think it's at the moment, because I think a lot of people, at least while we're recording this, you know, we're in the midst of, of self quarantine Uh, A lot of people around the world uncertain uh, about, you know, for example, their their jobs, the future, what what kind of the future holds. Um, And it can for sure uh, feel very overwhelming. We're definitely in uncharted waters. So I think a lot of those practices are really helpful and really integral, especially uh, now. But 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 even in the cycles of life that we find ourselves in above and beyond uh, quarantine, There is a there is another piece that I wanted to particularly ask you about that I thought was really relevant. And again, I also think very, very, very timely, which is there was research and you'll know the actual researcher. Um, but, you know, one of the exercises that I love, um, which I think is, is helpful when thinking about a bucket list, is the is the eulogy exercise and thinking about, you yeah. know, on your deathbed, what, what do you really want to have achieved or what would you, you know, like to have experienced? And for me, and this kind of echoes what you're sharing about, you know, people, it really comes down to me of, of what kind of experiences did I share with those I loved? And hopefully I left the world a slightly better place than when I came in. So it's really around service and contribution and, and experiences with with loved ones. And, and so I thought about that. And I think now we all have a collective moment to really kind of get together and think about what we want, because like it or not, we're all currently forced to slow slow down in a, in a very big way. And I know that there's research, and I remember in this in the research that you had said that something like 76 percent of people on their deathbeds, uh, their greatest regret is is ostensibly, and, and you'll have the formal language for this, but not taking a shot. Not they don't regret what they what, what they did do. They regret what they didn't do. And so I think I'd just love for you to talk about that because I know that that's some of the research that you've done. But I feel like now is such a salient moment because it's it's sort of a forced pause or reset and a time for people to really assess um, you know, this notion of what do I want to achieve? I mean, we're all kind of stuck in our homes (laughs) and, and social distancing, so to speak. So we have this, this, you know, we can see that as a challenge or, you know, as this famous meme I've seen go around Instagram, it's like, you know, our grandparents were called to war. We're being called to sit on our sofa. And that doesn't mean that that's not without its challenges, but again, in that sort of same spirit of gratitude, you know, we can also see the opportunity in the obstacle. Um, so what do you see as the opportunity here in this moment and, and in, in delving deeper into that research um, are there any insights you can share on people living a life without regrets something that they can apply as they think through this process that I think you've eloquently sort of broken down for them um, any, any anecdotes stories or insights on how one can approach uh, a plan for living such that they don't wind up on their deathbed feeling like they left uh gas in the tank
1: absolutely i think this is now more than ever probably the best time to think about that um because i think anytime we can have some space to think about the end of our life it's a positive i think that you you know we tend to ignore that fact subconsciously we don't think about our mortality because of you know many reasons but uh we live fast and everything is immediate and you just don't really think that you're going to die you know you just and most of us i mean some people inherently they they have that and it's wired in them but i think most people don't and and the reason i think that is because that's what the the research shows that this is done by a psychologist named Tom Gilovich who Is also a professor at Cornell, and he did a number of studies, but he wrote one study called The Ideal Road Not Taken in the Academic um, Psychology Journal, Emotion. And as you said, he found that people at the end of their life do not regret the things they did. They regret the things that they didn't do. And 76% of people, when asked on their deathbed, what is your number one regret in your entire life, 76% of people had the same answer, and that was not living my ideal self. So living the life someone else wanted for me, not myself. And that is a heartbreaking statistic that 76% of us will live our entire life, reach our deathbed, and finally have the time to look back and think, fuck, I blew it. I blew the whole thing. I didn't take time to think about what I want I live for someone else and I think we get wrapped up into what we think other people want for us or what we think society believes is the right thing for us to do and it's a it's a it's a difficult narrative to snap um, but it's very sobering to go through a near death experience and it's very sobering to see someone that you love pass away, and what you'll find is when you talk with people that go through this, mm-hmm. you know, they um, things are put into perspective. And how can we maintain that perspective without having to go through that trauma? How can we continue? How can we maintain? that closeness to death to remind us of the preciousness of, of life. And, you know, it's, it's the, I I don't know what the answer is, but that is my driving force. When I learned about those numbers, I couldn't believe it. And I thought if I can, if I can decrease that number (laughs) Mm -hmm. by a fraction, um, and that's really the purpose behind what I'm doing and why I'm speaking is because I'm, I want to, give people permission to go after these things and remind them that it's not selfish and that, you know, you don't want to end up at your end of your life with those regrets. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to. And I can see the difference in people when people come up and after and, and speak to me about, you know, they they say one of two things. They either say, I, this is how I live my life. You you are speaking my language this is exactly, and I can I know before they start speaking that they live their life that way because I can see it in their face. I can see how alive they are, and then I can see the the majority of the rest of the population that that you know that I that I speak to afterwards, and and you know they are talking about many different things, but there's this vitality that is palpable, um, and I think we all know those people whether they're you know they're their parents or their, their friends, you know, of parents, like they're in their seventies and they look like they're 50 and they're just like, and it's, that's how they live their life. They just do those things that are important to them. And that seems to fuel their, um, their happiness and their vitality. And, 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 and I understand that it, it's, it's, it's not as black and white as that. And not everyone has the privilege to go after some of the things that they really want to do. And, um, and, and I, and I recognize that. And I think that, you know, when people say, you know, listen, like I, I, I work 14 hours a day and I, um, I don't have any money to do any of these things. And, you know, what would you suggest? And I just say, well, you know, do you think that you have one hour a week to spare to go after something to do something that's you're passionate about Mm -hmm. um and usually the answer is yes and it's you know for instance this kid just messaged me on instagram and he he said that and his answer was yeah you know i do and i've i've always liked creative uh writing and i i I used to do it and I, i just haven't but i could probably do an hour a week of creative writing and that's great like that's all we're talking about here you know if you just can afford to do that do that but but don't get swept up with the day to day and forget about that. you have to be vigilant with that time for yourself you have to protect that time just like you would protect a board meeting mm-hmm. or you know an important conference call or like you know that time that you have to, to go and take those tangle lessons are <laughs> As important, if not more important, than you know that one hour that you have to meet, do your in person with your leader at work. So uh, that is, you know, really hopefully what what is coming across is this this prioritize like that that idea that you. You have to do these things um, to, yes. to not end up with those regrets.
0: Stephen Pressfield calls it turning pro in the uh, the War of Art, which is one of my favorite books of all time. I'm actually rereading it now because I'm interviewing him next week. But he he, he he basically articulates what you're talking about is that preserving that hour, that commitment to yourself. As you know, we all have in any creative endeavor, whether it be your bucket list or the, the diversion of ourself that we're looking to live into, we all have that resistance. Right. And that resistance may be like, as you spoke of earlier, right, the projections of other people's judgments, which is based on this tribal blueprint from, you know, that's deeply wired yeah. in our brain or, or it may be, hey, you know, I want to play Xbox or w- whatever that resistance. is. I want to watch a new Netflix special instead of that hour of creative writing for the young man you just mentioned. Right. And what and and for me, obviously, that resistance comes up as well. And I'm working I'm writing this book. And so this morning I was like, nope, I'm tur-. so he calls it turning pro. And wh- basically what he's saying, and I like this because it kind of brings a little bit first circle some of the principles you were sharing, which is, you know, when you make those commitments yourself, even in the context of the bucket list, you know, he's like. When when I work, you know, you work in a company, you'd have a Monday meeting, you know, and then, mm-hmm. you know, you'd write up all the notes, and then you everyone would know what you have to do for the week, and you'd have a boss that would make sure you did it right. Yeah. He, he was like, I set up a corporation, even though it's just me, so that it's me Inc. and I make my I set I set myself a Monday note, and I know exactly what I have to do for that week, and it's sort of yeah. that formalization of exactly what you're talking about, which is committing to turn pro, even if that's one hour a week where you are committed to whatever it is that is aligned to your true essence, right? So that, like, I want to live a life where on my deathbed, I feel like I, you know, memento mori in the stoic sense, right? Yep, you know, live, yep, yep. live with, you know, death. I have actually a coin that Ron, Ryan Holiday gave me that I have on my desk so that I look at every day with a skull and that It says that yep. memento mori. And so that, that idea of like, okay, you know, we all have resistance, like it's, it's inevitable, but I think that to your point earlier, it's sort of like the writing it down piece. There's that essence of commitment. And I think the accountability, which you mentioned earlier as well, helps to enhance that. It's so vital in any creative endeavor, because the greatest commitment we have really ultimately is is to ourselves and to these dreams that that, that you so eloquently broken down in terms of how we can go about sort of, you know, distilling these dreams into actionable steps. And I feel like it it just so resonated with me because I literally was just thinking about that and, and, and putting it into action right now. Um, but I, but I, but I, but I, I, I love that idea of like, you know, even if it is one hour, you know, whatever that minimum amount is, because ultimately if you stack, this is sort of analogous, but Someone else, and this is because what I was thinking about is I'm actually going to redo my bucket list. It's been it's been several years, and after this conversation, I'm committed to do that, and I'll share it with you to, to, to yeah, be accountable. <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, would, I would actually I would encourage everybody that's
1: listening to write their list and share it with both of us.
0: Yes, I love that idea.
1: Write your list, take a photo of it, you know, tag us on Instagram
0: or send us a note. Um, and I'll link in the show email. notes, Ben's, uh, Ben's, all, all yep. Ben's details. But we'll be your accountability buddies. <laughs> I I, lo- I love that idea because it's so true. I mean, that's the piece. I think the declaration. So I declared. You and I talked about this before jumping on the call. I declared the book, which scared the shit out of me because I, I don't want to be ever someone who declares something and it doesn't follow through on it. And the book, something you know, I've talked to you about. I've been thinking about it for a long time. Uh, and I have deeply limiting belief, you know, when I was a kid, I was tracked in uh, LD class. And so, you know, I, I did so much work to transcend that, uh, but I still have this limiting belief that I can't write uh, because I remember when I was, you know, in elementary school, walking by the advanced kids and feeling like I was, you know, the LD kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I've done many things in life to to, to transcend and prove to myself that I can uh, transcend that that identity, it's still deep. So declaring that, man, and then declaring it and then but having folks like yourself in my life and a variety of others. Choosing those, what I call it uh, in the in the book, but, you know, and it's not these aren't my terms, but batteries are black holes. You know, you said the one mm-hmm. c- critical thing you can do is surround yourself with people that inspire you. To me, those are batteries. You know, yeah, and yeah. and it's not even just givers and takers to me because I think that's the conventional way people look at it. You know, certain people are givers and generous in spirit, which is which is yeah. ostensibly how you guys showed up uh, in, in 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 buried life. Uh, that, that I think was probably a lot of the reason why you were able to achieve what you were able to achieve because you were so oriented on being of service and focusing out but even i think um even i think givers sometimes can be black holes uh and so to me i like the idea of batteries are the people that charge you up you know and like and to me it's like surround yourself with batteries no matter what you do so (laughs) yeah i love that yeah
1: i think i think too the other thing to think about um which, which I find really interesting is you, if you look at the rest of the regrets of the dying mm. and if, if what's holding you back is that, you know, it's, it's monetary. Let's say it's just, you know, I, I honestly, I'd love to do all these things. I just don't have the money. Mm. Uh, and I, and I underst- I get that. And, but if you look at the top five regrets of the dying, um, a lot of them don't have anything to do with money which is interesting hmm. and they're actually the opposite of what I think a lot of people are driving for, um, you know, and, and myself included. Uh, I think that they um, uh, but it's interesting that this is, comes from what a, are, what, what are some of the other regrets? Just cause I don't, so that, I'm not aware of it. Yeah. So these, so these all come from the book, uh, the top five regrets of the dying, mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a hospice worker that, that worked for many years asking their patience, her patients, you know, this, this question, what do you, you regret? So the first is consistent with Gilovich's research, right, which is uh, I wish I, I had the courage to live a, a life true to myself, not the, uh, the life others expected. Mm. The second is I wish I wouldn't, I wish I hadn't worked so much. Mm. Uh, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Mm. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Mm. Uh, and I wish I had let myself be happier. So obviously some of those are tied to money, but some of them are, you know, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Um, you know, I wish, I wish I were talking about, you know, I wish I I'd, I'd let myself live the life I wanted versus the one other people had, even if it's in small increments. Right. Um, I wish I would, I'd let myself be happier. I mean, you know, a lot of people that's tied to money, but there's other Things and and different aspects of happiness so the majority of those things um, are not are not tied to to, to money uh, and and I think like if that was our goal if if, if, if if we came out of this and we thought okay wow my new f- top five goals in my life just because I'm gonna base this on what everyone else regrets mm-hmm Forget all my other goals. My top goals now are I'm going to live for myself, not other people. I'm going to try and work less. I'm going to express my feelings. I'm going to actively stay in touch with friends. Like I'm going to be proactive when it comes to relationships. And I'm just going to do whatever it takes to be happier. Those are those should be everyone's top five goals in their life. <laughs> I'm about that. <laughs> And it's, it kind of sounds simple when you, when you say it out loud, it's obviously not that simple, but if we can have a reminder that, 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 that brings us back to those goals somehow, um, uh, you know, I think that would be a good thing. So this is just, uh, that's just the data, right? That's just the, from, from, from what people have found from case studies. And so, uh, if you can actively drive towards those things, you know, that's the goal.
0: That's what, that, that's what it's all about. I, I did want to have, and we're, we're getting close to our time here and I want to be respectful of your time. I'm so, so grateful for, for all the insights you've shared. Um, One of the things I had wanted to ask you is, you know, you went from buried life, obviously um, achieved through tremendous hard work, uh, a great level of success and notoriety earlier, uh, early early in the game. And then and then, you know, you did something, uh, you know, you shifted and were successful in that endeavor. But as I understand it, you know, I've never talked in depth about it didn't feel that it was you know your total fulfillment or your total you know your total uh, it, w- it wasn't the penultimate uh, exemplification of your dream put it like that and for many people I know that they're living in that context right they may maybe they're working a job that's okay you know if they're lucky they're working a job maybe that's good but it's it's not great it's not it's not the exemplification of their fulfillment or maybe if they're very lucky they work something and they've seen they've touched, There's a book called The Second Mountain. You know, I was just talking with the Hall of Fame quarterback, actually. Right. And he just left the NFL. And, you know, imagine he went from, uh, you know, he went, he, he hit the pan ultimate, you know, he's pro, he's all of fame and he's 40 years old. So he's got a lot more life to go. And I think what's interesting, again, going into research, you know, it's not our it's not uh, the generation, uh, you know, our parents generation. It's not the 30 year gold watch. Uh, thanks for coming. And not that that was the exemplification of happiness anyway, as, as we've seen in the research you just shared. But given the fact that so many people are going through transitions and, and hopefully everyone's looking, even if they've achieved some level of success in life, for, uh, for a vision of themselves that can be r- truly expressed in what they do. Um, and I know you, you've delved into public speaking and have now become quite successful at it. Do you have any insights on, for lack of a better term, that second mountain from your own experience and how people can approach Uh, sort of recycling and, uh, as I believe you call it, uh, and taking on that next chapter of life.
1: Yeah, and I think that this is about our buried life Mm. and that we have many buried lives in the sense that as we grow, we change, and therefore our desires, our passions change and evolve with that. And so, you know, our vocation also can evolve and change, and then that's okay. I think that's sort of the, the underpinning sort of theme of this conversation because um, I think it's natural for that to happen. But it's it doesn't mean that it's easy to make those shifts. And so, from my personal experience, as you said, went um, into my first phase of life as you know with with the buried life, and it was this awesome rocket ship, and uh, after. The show we did a book and that did well and then we did uh, uh speaking as a group and and then we thought you know what let's start a production company we just made a television show we have all these other ideas and we want to help other people do their show and we started a production company and it was a grind <laughs> it was such a grind and it was working and we sold some shows and we produced them and we were proud of them but man was it like there's not a lot of joy. (laughs) And ultimately I realized that the creative work was not the work that I could do because I was, um, helping to run the production company and there just was no room for creativity. It was just a whole bunch of BS. And so three years later, I had to kind of make a decision just as we were at this, uh, juncture where we were going to get investment and like, it was the next phase and we kind of finally made it. And I was miserable. And I realized through my past experience that if I'm not expressing my creativity, I'm probably going to get depressed. Mm. Like this creativity for me, and I think with a lot of people, is this undervalued um, pillar of wellness. And so that buried life was my expression of creativity when I felt depressed back in my early college days. And now that I was suppressing this creativity with the production company, um, I saw this, the, 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 road ahead and it didn't look good. And so I talked with the rest of the guys. I said, listen, guys, I don't think I can, I'm not the guy to run this with you. And, um, we shifted and I moved out and it was very hard, but I had a conversation with my uncle that was pivotal for me. And that was, he said, and he was a longtime producer and he said, Ben, you know what? You're not starting again right because i've been saying listen i've worked for three years building this production company i I put my blood sweat and tears into this now what am i going to do start something again i don't i can't even imagine trying to do that and he said ben you're not starting again what you're doing is recycling your career
0: Hmm.
1: you're taking everything that you've learned all your assets that you've built up all the tools that you have now in your toolkit and you're pivoting and you're applying them to something new what what is that going to be? You know, it's TBD. But you're not starting from bottom again. You're just pivoting, and you're turning in a new direction and you're recycling your career. And that totally reframed it for me. I thought, yeah, geez, he's right. You know, it's almost like you're upcycling your career, right? You're 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 taking all your assets and you're rolling them up into your new venture. And it's true. Everything that I learned from producing, you know, I then moved into speaking, and I pivoted into doing keynotes because that was my form of expression of my creativity. And that was my way of also, instead of getting the impact secondhand through emails or social or whatever, I could see the impact real time. I could actually watch people transform within the hour. And that was really meaningful. And so I thought, wow, this is incredible. Uh, you know, I, uh, so I, so I, I kept doing it and then I, uh, without knowing it, well, all of a sudden I was this, I was a speaker and then I got more engagements and it was sort of all word of mouth. And all of a sudden that's what I've been doing for the last three years. Um, and it was because I accepted that it was okay for me to recycle my career. It wasn't a failure. This was actually a pivot in the right direction. And i think that someone's uh, career can 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 fulfill that that or, or quench that thirst for somebody throughout their whole life right i think that that is completely possible and it happens all the time i see it you know with friends and what happens is is that their as their job evolves you know it kind of it continues to be a challenge and they, they expand and, and it it's that thing that they always want to do and that is fantastic but also i see people that feel stuck in a lane and they're they don't want to do it anymore but they feel like if they 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 move that they're dropping out and now they got to start again and that is from my experience it's just it's just not it hasn't been the case for me right and uh so i can only talk from my experience but um if you are able to think about it a little bit differently and and maybe a good exercise is to really list out the facts the facts being what is the absolute worst case scenario that can happen and really identify those things that are facts mm. you know like she's saying like oh, i'll never be able to get a job again is that is that a fact like will you never be able to get a job again cuz uh, a lot of friends that i know that want to make a shift and they, if they left what they're doing now to do something else, and they didn't work, they would be able to get a job again, and a probably a pretty good job. So, like, just evaluate what are what are the actual facts, what are the real real risks, and sometimes those risks are going to be too high. And you know, maybe right now those risks are going to be too high because of the state of the world and the economy and, and what we're what's happening right now. But um, you know, I think that just the the idea of the of the recycling your career was really impactful in reframing um, what I was doing because I was looking at it as a, as a failure and starting.
0: And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this part one of my episode with Ben Nemton. Part two will be all largely around public speaking and how to become a successful public speaker. The business, the mindset, the strategies of public speaking. So If you're interested, I hope you check out that episode. Uh, If you are enjoying the episodes, please go ahead and take 20 seconds. Um, Your rating and reviews on Apple mean the world to me, and they also help me get great guests to bring to you. So I'm committed to continuing to bring you guys world-class speakers, performers, athletes, uh, doctors, etc., and uh, your five-star reviews really helped me in that process. So thanks for taking 15, 20 seconds uh, to go ahead and leave us a review. <clears throat> and please stick around. Uh, I've got some incredible guests coming up. I'm so appreciative of you guys taking the time to listen. It means the world to me. And uh, without you, there would be no show. So I am so grateful. I love bringing this content to you week in, week out. And sending you guys lots of love. With that, please go out there and live your inspired life.